Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the Everton podcast from The Athletic. I'm Greg O'Keefe and in a moment I'll be speaking to my fellow Everton writer Paddy Boyland as we try to bring you a dose of sense in a footballing world that has quite frankly gone insane this week. Coming up on this show, European Super League melodrama, our owners respond in the strongest possible terms. Marcel Brands ends speculation on his future by signing a fresh three-year deal. And a 2-2 draw with Spurs saw some improvements. We'll need to carry that forward with a tricky trip to the Emirates next. Now you can subscribe to Athletic UK right now for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. This week on the site, we have Paddy's reaction. If you haven't already seen it, please do check it out to the Spurs game. We'll talk more about that later. We've got a piece about Everton's leading from the front in terms of the other 14 and the Premier League clubs who really opposed the breakaway European Super League, how Everton did it, why they did it so stridently, and what it might have meant for Everton's future. And what of Everton's future now, with the spirit of competition and opportunity back on the table? And a piece as well about what it's like to play next to or within the same team as Ben Godfrey, a young player who's obviously right there in the mix for Everton's young player of the season. We've asked the question, what's it like to play with him in the team? So go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. We're going to talk about the European Super League debacle and what a debacle it was. Um, it was a weird old path, wasn't it? Because it, it was the mood and the drama of it swung from um, surreal to genuine, like felt seismic melodrama to and, and then actually just very stark and then almost sudden comedy. I've never known anything like it, have you? <laughs> no, not not that kind of arc that you mentioned there in such a short space of time. We were talking about a window here of probably 48 hours in which the scheme is launched with really bad branding, let's not forget, <laughs> and a terrible website, which kind of shows that it's a bit ad hoc already. Mm. And within 48 hours, that version of the project, of the proposals, has already failed and fallen flat on its face. So so yeah, I've, I've never known anything like it. We had conversations along these lines earlier, didn't we? And mm-hmm. as a journalist, I think this is this is the period where you're kind of inundated with messages where, where everything's going on and things are coming thick and fast. My sole concern really here, and certainly as an Everton correspondent, as, as I know yours 
was is just in terms of making sense of what it meant for Everton and what Everton's response to this was likely to be. And I don't think it would have surprised anybody that Everton mounted quite a fierce opposition. Maybe maybe their most fierce opposition that we've seen, certainly in my lifetime. Ordinarily, what they do is they agitate behind the scenes. They make their presence felt mm-hmm. quite ferociously at times. But in private, so in Premier League board meetings and such, the best example I could give would be Denise Barrett-Baxendale in the Project Big Picture meeting a couple of months ago. That didn't play out in public, but I think there was a feeling that this one had to, that everybody had to put on quite a united front. And that was the only way that they were going to take down the collective might, as it were, of the side. I mean, what, what did you... What did you make of it all? It, it seemed like a farce to me, but my overriding feeling is that Everton, again, have been on the right side of history here. Is that is that fair? Yes, absolutely. I would say that's fair. You hear conversations, don't you, flying around, and the strength of Everton's statements was all well and good, but you know they would say that, wouldn't they, given that they were excluded, and then people try and flip it on its side and say, would Everton have been quite outspoken had they been invited? And I know me and you chat about this last night and yesterday and then today. I mean, it's still almost a little bit of a redundant argument because we'll never know. It's just it's just conjecture. Yeah, everyone can have an opinion. But if you look at the facts and if you look at how Everton's ownership responded to things like you mentioned, quite rightly, big picture, more behind the scenes, but still in terms of the, the Premier League, uh, CEOs and chairman Denise Barrett Baxendale led from the front with her objection. You know, Bill Kenwright, his objection, you know, his fingerprints were very much part of Everton's very strident and eloquent rebuttal of, of what, what was being proposed. Um, so I would say that, that you could come up with just a compelling argument that they, they would have declined you know, in the same way that PSG declined and Bayern declined. Now, Equally, and I know this word conjecture because you could say I'm being naive and say, Well, look, um, Mashiri is, is a billionaire businessman, you know, of course, he wouldn't have declined this opportunity. We don't know. I, I mean, just do you know what I'm getting at? It's just well, it was an exercise in what, what about really, isn't it? It's the debate has shifted onto something else, and quite a lot of this has felt certainly when I was looking at the responses underneath the tweet of Everton's club statement. On, on Tuesday, a lot of the responses seem to be from supporters of some of those breakaway six clubs in the Premier League. And I was like, oh, well, you wouldn't have turned this down X, Y, and Z. Um, what I would say is Everton were kind of incentivized when it came to Project Big Picture. There was a slice of the cut there for teams like Everton and Leicester. There was just enough incentive from the self-anointed big six for, for, for teams like Everton and Leicester to potentially be interested. And Everton rejected that. So that gives us an indication. My guess is that you look at people like Denise Barrett-Baxendale and Bill Kenwright, uh, other members of the board, I don't think they would have turned regardless. Um, so I find, find the rest of the, the debate a little bit moot. I think we have to take what we've got on face value and that Everton have objected to something that wasn't in their best interests. It would have killed competition and potentially killed elements of the English footballing pyramid. But it also, as, as we, we spoke about earlier in private mates, it also threw up big questions, I felt, for, for the new stadium 
And um, if you're Farhad Mashiri, effectively what you're doing is you're investing money into Everton Football Club, particularly the new stadium, because in theory that could bring back extra revenue and help Everton gate crash that elite. Part of that is getting into the Champions League. What's the point of investing £500 million in a new stadium if there's no incentive of Champions League football there? What does that do to broadcast revenue? What does it do to kind of potential lenders and what they request back in terms of interest rates? Um, Because a lot of that stuff would have been up in the air. And I I think that's part of this as well. I think Everton not only were fighting for the good of the game, but they they also knew that they needed to fight for their own interests here. And their interests weren't served by other clubs going off into a European Super League and the Champions League either failing as an entity or not being the same entity. So there are a couple of sides to this coin, but um, I I, I thought it was powerful. I I did. I thought it was powerful. I almost thought that among the 14, Everton were kind of the leaders, the pioneers. We we were told that the expectation was that Denise Barrett-Baxendale, Paul Barber at Brighton, people like Christian Perslow, the Leeds owner as well. Um, all these people were, were likely to kind of go in quite hard. Leicester. Um, but with Everton's statement, um, with what we're told happened in the meeting afterwards, Everton did kind of lead the way. And it's good to see because I think they take the position as, as kind of founding fathers of not only the Premier League, but also the Football League particularly seriously. Mm. I totally agree. I have to say on a personal level as well, um, when I reflect on it, one of my sort of ambitions professionally and personally has always been to, let's say, be present and and or report on Everton in a Champions League game proper. Um, and then the idea that, just personally, the idea that that might not happen because well, it wouldn't have been a proper Champions League. It, you know, it would have been a substantially deflated or, or changed, weakened Champions League. It wouldn't be the same. You know, I, you dream about Everton at the at the Bayou, don't you? Or Everton at the Everton Cap- against Bayern. If we go back to 84, 80, 85. Exactly. And the European nights. Exactly. And that's what, you know, when you think of, of the Bramley Moore Stadium and you, you dream about Champions League nights um, and to have that dream jeopardised for Evertonians, uh, for 14 other sets of fans and more. It just it, it was just horrific, and I'm glad it's happened. I mean, obviously, it's not so much our concern, but there's huge bridges to mend for uh, between the ownerships of the six breakaways and their fan bases, and particularly, I'd say, on Merseyside with Liverpool and uh, FSG. On the flip side, has this strengthened? Do you think Everton's fans' relationship with the uh, with the club and the board, the way they've led from the front here? I think Everton fans will have wanted to see vocal opposition and not just opposition in Premier League meetings. I think there's something symbolic about being out there publicly and taking a stand. And I think most Evertonians would have wanted to see the, the kind of stand that they, they took. So, yeah, what from what I saw on social media, there was an awful lot of pride from conversations with friends, family members who were Evertonians. They woke up on... Wednesday morning with a bit of a spring in the step, a bit of a buzz because it was felt that the club had done the right thing. And I think that does matter to Everton fans. I think it does matter to Everton Football Club, by the way, um, because again, going back to the whataboutery over whether they had joined or not, the charitable arm of the of the club, for example, is, is second to none and, and leads the way. 
um, does feel like a club rooted in its community. And I think identity then becomes very important, a sense of belonging. This kind of only reinforces that. And let's be honest, things on the pitch have not been great recently. So they need an injection from somewhere. They need an injection of optimism and energy from somewhere. And it's almost like you've got to try and harness that and bring it onto the pitch. Now in the final six, seven games of the season, I mean, they play Arsenal on Friday night. Arsenal are below Everton in the table. They're in ninth. I think they're three points behind them. And Everton have got a game in hand. Everton are going there. And knowing that this is a side that, in in essence, they think they're superior. They think that they shouldn't really be rubbing shoulders with clubs like Everton, which is just absolute nonsense. So if you can harness that and turn it into a positive, into a... I hesitate to use it, but an us against them atmosphere on the pitch. It becomes about fighting and battling and, and trying to win in that sense. Then I think it could well be a positive. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Good news continues with the fact that, for example, Martel Brands has signed a new deal, as, as you alluded to earlier. Well, of course, that's that's breaking news, really, in terms of recording that just 45 minutes after it was uh, announced, aren't we? So, yeah, yeah. So Unusual timing, but, I mean, what do we make of that? It's been in the works for a while, hasn't it? And then to drop on a Wednesday afternoon, um, the comments are interesting as well. What, what do you make of that? Yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody's... Really, I, I'm not that surprised. I, I'm sure you're not that this has happened. Um, the timing's one thing, but I mean, we've been reporting for months that progress had been made, talks were positive, that everybody was of a mind to sign that extension. I think it was just a case of when the news dropped, of when it was going to drop. I should, I should probably say, uh, brands wants to stay, brands wants to build a legacy. Everton have clearly decided that for now, at least he's the right man for the next three years. And I think it is I think it is good timing again, because like I say, I think we need positive stories. I think we need some sense of momentum in what has been a faltering season at times. But let's not forget we're into April now, towards the end of April. And the season, the season's conclusion is not far away. Everton need to plan for the summer. They And I know they have been to an extent, but they need to have everything pulling in the right direction with regards to this summer. Again, as we mentioned on the last show, 
this coming summer is going to be a big one with regards to recruitment. There are not only parts of the squad, but I'd say parts of the, the actual first 11 that need work. And maybe you could even say substantial work. Right back, the lack of width. We're not just looking at squad players here. We're looking at kind of genuine starters, buying starting quality players. So for that to happen and for things to go well and smoothly and for Everton to hit the ground running over the summer, they need a brand's future resolved. They need a brand's and Ancelotti on the same page with regards to targets. So this is a positive step. What I would say is, I had this conversation with somebody else the other day, this idea that somebody is either amazing, 10 out of 10, or abject, dreadful, 0, 1 out of 10, for me, does not ring true for probably 99% of the world's population. We're all somewhere in the middle of those two polars. And when you assess somebody like Marcel Brands, he will be in the middle of those two extremes. Everybody will have their own different view. But my, I, I think there's been more good than bad in what he's done so far. I don't just view it as what he's done in a re- recruitment sense, and there have been hits and misses with that. Uh, I think we'll see more hits over the summer if you look at Moise Keane and, and people like that. But he's also done work with the academy that's starting to bear fruit now, and the club feel he's the right man moving forward. So I guess my question my question to you is, I'd put him at like a seven-ish out of ten. How do you rate his uh, what are you what are your feelings on his on his time at Everton? And does this feel like the right move to, to get him tied down and, and to get him tied down now? I think so. Yeah, I think I think Everton needs some. Con- I think it's it, it, it's a welcome continuity and consistency in such a big role, such an pivotal role, um, it, which wasn't there with the previous and first incumbent of it ever in our history with Steve Walsh for <laughs> for understandable <laughs> reasons. He was a short lived appointment. But Marcel Brands is very different, much uh, more suited to doing that job at a club like Everton. And I think, like you say, I agree with you, they've been hits and misses. It's, he's neither been absolutely outstanding, nor has he been poor. Um, I think a six and a half, a seven is, is, is about right, probably nudging towards a seven, really, um, given the challenges he's faced, certainly in terms of like whittling down the wage bill, the damaging wage bill and uh, bloated squad they inherited. Um, his signings have been hit and miss would probably be fair, but slightly more hits than miss. Because I think for me, Moise Keen was always going to be a huge one for him because he was su- such his man and, you know, debatable if, if he was what we needed at the time. And it was a big fee and he was such a high profile young player. And it's been used as a stick to beat him in the past. I've criticised him over the signing of him, but, you know, Time can sort of make a mug of us all. It might be that in the summer, him moving on uh, for a massive fee, much more than we paid for him, perhaps likely, um, enables us to go in and spend money, which keeps us compliant with FFP. So he could even claim that was a success. So uh, I think, I think overall, I think he's he's been good, uh, and I, I like to think now he's got that three years. It's been a you know big three years. Been a lot of t- you know twists and turns. And he's got that consistency in the role. Uh, I'd like to hope that he can go on to bring some success, like he has done at his previous clubs in Holland. Albeit, you know, you know, sort of. Um, obviously, PSV are a massive club, but previously, you know, Alkmaar uh, wasn't so much. Uh, maybe the, the expectations that he's got at Goodison, but you know, let's hope he can he can go and do it. I think he's got a clear vision. He's got to get Everton into Europe, and then or help Everton get into Europe with the manager and help them get into the Champions League, and. Um, 
you know, he's still got to fill, as you say, I totally agree, crucial gaps in the squad. Um, what I would say, by the way, is that there was always an acceptance that this was going to be a long-term project yeah. when he came in. It was never, we're going to give you 300 million to spend in two windows and we want Everton in the top four. When Marcel Brands came in, along with Marco Silva, let's not forget, this was Everton pressing the reset button. They'd had Sam Allardyce before that. They'd had Ronald Koeman and, and Steve Walsh, which failed abjectly, mm. as, as you pointed out. So Brands was going to be given time to develop this over, let's be honest, not two years, even three years. Five, we're talking about five, six, seven, even potentially 10 years in terms of legacy. Some of the signings you have to assess along those lines. So Moise Keane, if he's not a, if he's not an immediate success over the course of one season, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a failure because he came in when he was a teenager. And actually, if he goes over the summer, like you say, for, for a profit or if he comes back and is kind of renewed as a force for Everton, then Brands has done his job on that front. It's not, not necessarily what other managers might, may have wanted, Marco Silva, for example, but Brands and his remit, that's, that, that's what the club wanted him to do. The other thing I'd say is Everton is a difficult job for a director of football. What he inherited, as you said, was quite difficult, really. It's quite, quite tough circumstances, bloated squad, wage bill through the roof, still is to some extent. But what you've not got with P- at PSG, I feel you can take a gamble on players from far-flung leagues, minnows, players from minnows. And if they don't work out fine, it's, it is a big club, but they've still probably got enough to be in the top couple in the Netherlands. With Everton, you've got money, but you've not got the money of the supposed elite clubs. You've not got the money of a, a Liverpool or a Manchester United or a Chelsea in the market, certainly not Manchester City. You're expected to compete for either the Champions League now or or the Europa League. Not necessarily with the budget of a Champions League side, certainly. And that makes it quite hard to... You're kind of spending £20 million here or there. You're buying a Ben Godfrey more more often than not. Gilfie Sigurdsson, the most expensive signing, was not a Marcel Brand signing. It was a Ronald Koeman, Steve Walsh deal. Marcel Brands, in the main, has been looking in that £30 million bracket trying to nurture players and, and, and bring them up to the top level. So there have been failures and there have been successes, but the club have seen enough here to give him more time. And I think more time is the right thing because I think what Everton have needed more than anything since David Moyes left, let's be honest, is the stability and continuity that comes with consistency in manager, in director of football, in players all that kind of stuff. When you've got the harmony, that's when you kick on. So um, I, th- I think it's good news broadly without glossing over some of the the failures, some of the negatives. Uh, and again, like I said, just a, another piece of what I would consider to be good news this week in a, in, a, in a week where otherwise we'd probably be bemoaning the fact that Everton have forgotten how to put the ball in the back of the net with regularity. <laughs> No, I, I completely agree. And I, I think uh, in a week of massive uncertainty, it is nice to have some, like we say, some consistency and some leadership. More importantly, Carlo Ancelotti seems happy with him. He's spoken many a time that he likes that dynamic. So let's see uh, how Marcel Brands can write the second chapter of his Everton career, hopefully 
with some success. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. On to matters on the pitch before we wrap up. Uh, we do have, obviously, and as you say, another big game on Friday. But first of all, matching in Spurs, Jose Mourinho's last as Spurs manager. Um, I enjoyed your piece about it because I think it difficult because you had to reflect probably one of our better attacking performances in a while, but also the perennial problems that have hampered uh, this, this, this quest to get into the European places and now making it look harder and harder as the weeks go on. Um, we just shoot ourselves in the foot. And, and this time it was, we find different ways to do it. This time it was, you know, one of our most re- reliable performers all season in Michael Keane. And then Mason Holgate, two lapses of concentration. Um, yeah, it was a frustrating game in the end, wasn't it? It was very frustrating. And I felt that it kind of fell into the wider context of disappointment to, from supporters more than anything at, how opportunities have been missed over the last two to three months in particular. Obviously, Everton in a fantastic position early doors after the work they did in that kind of in that opening part of the season. Started to unravel a little bit with poor results, lost a home to people like Burnley, Newcastle, which we've obviously mentioned an awful lot. But this this fell into the same category, and I'm not saying Spurs are as bad as a Newcastle or a Burnley, but what Everton did on Friday in terms of the chances created and everything else and the chances they gave away, they blew three points. They really, really did. It, it fell into that pattern of blowing three points time and time again when opportunity beckons. Um, you pointed out there the, 
the woes in front of goal. That was a continuation from the game against Crystal Palace for me. Another game where you're looking at it and thinking Everton probably should be two or three goals up. It's quite funny because you get the unique perspective from the game of what's going on inside the stadium when you attend as a journalist. So um, obviously I did the game against Tottenham, as you've, as you've pointed out. The press box now, or the media area, as it should probably be called at this moment in time, is just above the director's box in the main stand at Goodison. And in the main stand at Goodison, you've got a load of people in Everton's backroom staff. You'll also have a Marcel Brands, Denise Barrett, Baxendale, Scouts, Greta Steinson, the head of recruitment. All these people that I wouldn't say are peripheral because they're not, but they're not deemed important for Carlo Ancelotti on match day with regards to preparing the team and so on and so forth. So you've kind of got the the Italian video analyst, Simone Montanaro, who's always vocal. He's always shouting away throughout the game. You'll have um, you'll have data analysts. You'll have all these kinds of people there. When Richarlison missed the chance later on, where he ballooned over after Josh King had, had, had had his shot saved, there was such a yelp of exasperation from from the, from the director's box. And I think that probably did the situation more justice than my words in any match piece ever could. <laughs> this kind of primal noise of effectively, I'm paraphrasing it, what the hell is going on? Um, because they just missed so many chances. And they'd obviously gifted Tottenham two goals through, I'd say a combination of Michael Keane and Mason Holgate, if we're being honest the two of them together, lack of communication and everything else, um, poor decision-making. Um, where it was better, and again, this comes back down to what you see at, at a game when you're there live in attendance. Ancelotti, from minute one, basically, was shouting at his players, imp- imploring them to get forward, to push, push forward, press high, make things difficult for Tottenham. And I think one of the things I've found difficult, even through the injury crisis, has just been the extent to which Everton have been passive and limp, and they've not really looked to to get in the faces of the opposition. Like, like me, I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure that most of the best Everton performances for you will have come when Everton play at tempo, and when they they really well when they harness the crowd of Goodison when it's there, I should say, um, and they were infinitely better playing that way. Uh, Let's look at the issues in both boxes in isolation. But in terms of chance creation, in terms of winning the ball back, in terms of the um, efficiency of the midfield, how effective they were, I think this was a is a much, much better performance, certainly than we saw against Brighton um, and probably than we saw against Crystal Palace. In all honesty, too, that's to say nothing of Newcastle, Burnley or those teams at home. After the game, Ancelotti said it was probably the best home performance of the year, potentially the season. And if they put a few of the chances away, then yeah, you'd have been inclined to agree because um, it, did, it did feel better. And you know what? I absolutely loved James Rodriguez's performance again. I don't know, what, what, did you, what did you make of him? Tremendous. I think, again, you know, outstanding. Head and shoulders, our best player. Nothing new there, is it really? But um, I agree with you in terms of... Uh, I think you, yeah, that uh, I'm not surprised that that devastated that with Charles and missed because he's missed a few good chances lately, um, and we're just inching towards her to where it's going to be definitive missing chances like that um, to whether or not the, fe- the season feels like a success or a failure. Um, 
But the other side of North London lie in store for us on Friday again. This time, you know, not altogether a compelling by any means, a compelling opposition, are they, Arsenal? Yeah, we haven't won down there for far, far too long. Uh, it'd be nice to address that this season. It does feel like they're beatable. Albeit we said this before, it does feel like there's an opportunity there. If we can harness the the feeling around the club, like you said earlier, and, and build on the better parts of Friday. Um, got some players coming back as well that'll be important. Uh, what, what do you make of that? I suppose it'd be key if DCL is fit. It sounds like he will be. This is stating the bleeding obvious, so apologies. But he's obviously seminal. He's pivotal to what they look to do in attack, purely because if they're struggling to build up from the back Everton, there is the option of playing long into him. And more often than not, he either wins the ball or brings it down and, and links play with, with others. Having that option there, I think, is massive, particularly away from home where you are looking to relieve pressure at times. I'd feel a lot better about this if he was fit, and I'd feel a lot better about this if it was the Arsenal that Liverpool faced a few weeks ago, the Arsenal kind of decimated by injuries. As it happens, I think people like players like Bukayo Saka will be fit for this one. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. And he's a, I think he's an outstanding young talent, to be honest. The kind of player with his movement and his, his speed of thought is, is just speed in general. The kind of player that you would always fancy to cause Everton trouble between the lines, particularly if they've not got the first choice midfield out. Where I think we do have to be positive is in speaking about James there. And if James is fit and it doesn't look like he picked up any issues against, um, against Tottenham, it feels like he's finding his way, playing his way into form. Certainly in the second half, he was dictating everything that Everton did really. And what I absolutely loved was, I think it was late in the game, it was 2-2 and Everton were obviously trying to press for the winner. And Spurs broke into the Everton left-back area. Luca Dean was up the pitch and it was James Rodriguez chasing back, winning possession and, and starting another attack. I just thought his, his all-round performance was fantastic. He recovered the ball more than any other player on the pitch for Everton against Tottenham, which is staggering when you consider people like Alan and Mason Holgate and Ben Godfrey there. So Tom Davis, even, who, who was excellent, I thought. So he's going to be key. He's going to be pivotal. We know this. He, he's central to everything Everton do on the ball. If he plays like that again and if Calvert-Lewin's back, then, yeah, you, you kind of feel as though Everton can trouble any side in the league in an attacking sense. If they're not fit, they, they obviously struggle. So um, in keeping with this week, let's try and be glass half full as opposed to, to half empty. And um, and uh, yeah, I think you can get at this Arsenal team. I really, really do. I agree. Um, if, if there's any justice in the world, Everton will go and uh, rub it into Arsenal and Cronker and the, uh, the the shamed big six. It, it'd be very interesting if there were fans there, wouldn't it? You know, what the away end would be like and what, what the home end would be like. And what I miss that though. I miss that uh, because I just think that the gallows humour of it, particularly from the other 14 in quotation marks, would have just been superb. I mean, could you imagine what that Everton away end would have been like at the at the Emirates on Friday night? I mean, they never <laughs> never wants to pull punches at the best of times. Never mind after the monstrosity that was the two day European Super League. So <laughs> it's a shame. It's a shame, and it's one of those big games that you kind of just wish fans were there to see. The sooner that's back, the better, obviously. Um, 
massive game, massive game. And I did, I did think beyond, beyond the disappointment of missed chances against Spurs, I did think we saw a more efficient Everton in possession, a more aggressive Everton off the ball too. And there are things that they will need in the final part of the season if they're to, to end well and to qualify for Europe. I'd say they're probably up against it now, but it's not impossible. A win against Arsenal on Friday night puts everybody else around Everton under pressure. It certainly does. So let's hope for that. Give us something to celebrate in next week's podcast to reflect on. In the meantime, don't forget you can catch one of those pieces I mentioned earlier in the show. Paddy's piece, uh, talking about the game. I'm sure you read it by now. Last week, we'll look forward to, obviously, a piece about the game on Friday. And in the meantime, a lot to talk about in terms of the ESL, how it might have affected Everton and why we're glad it's not going to. We had some really interesting conversations, actually, um, without giving anything away with people, key stakeholders in the stadium, people around the fringes of the stadium who sort of outlined to us just how bad it might have been had that gone ahead for Everton. And of course, don't forget as well, that Ben Godfrey piece, well worth checking out. Thank you once again for listening to Glad Tidings, and we'll see you next week. your ears by The Athletic, I'm Adam Hurry and Football Clichés is the podcast you never knew you needed. Every week, to quite unnecessary depth, we examine the words, the phrases, the accepted wisdom, the mannerisms, the habits, the gestures, the symbols, the sounds and the smells that everyone takes for granted in football, but which really are the glorious glue that holds it all together. For example, have you ever really listened to the Football League goals roundups? I mean, really listen to them? Because they all sound pretty much like this. Team X went into this game with just one win in their last 13 and when Team Y took the lead inside four minutes at Stadium Z, the home fans were probably starting to fear the worst. But Striker A had other ideas and this game turned on its head in the space of five minutes midway through the second half. First, a smart finish from the edge of the box brought Team X level and he repeated the trick on the hour mark to bring his tally for the season to 22. By now, Team X were in the mood, and although striker A squandered a gilt-edge chance to complete his hat-trick, on-loan Dutchman winger B made it three with a curling effort from long range. Team Y's misery was compounded in stoppage time when midfielder C's late challenge on fullback D saw them reduced to ten men. An afternoon to forget for manager E's men then, but Team X will hope they have finally turned a corner under caretaker boss manager F. Listen to Football Clichés wherever you get your podcasts and also ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic. The Athletic.